children in the New Testament age are exhorted to obey their parents in the Lord, for it is right. And reference is made to the fifth commandment with its accompanying general benefit to life that obedience to parental authority brings. Fact of the matter is, one of the greatest lessons we can ever learn in life is learning to obey the authority that God has placed over us in life. Obedience to authority doesn't bring a perfect life, but it certainly makes for a better life with less disastrous consequences of rebellion. One of the factors that makes for a healthy church is obedience to Jesus Christ, following what he has commanded us as a church to do and as individuals to do. If we are going to be a healthy church, we must observe the ordinances that Jesus has commanded us to observe. This morning, I'd like to focus our attention on the ordinances that Jesus commanded to be part of our life as a church. Now, what is an ordinance? Well, if you look the word up in the dictionary, you find out that uh, an ordinance is a direction or a command of an authoritative nature. Secondly, it's described as a prescribed practice or usage especially a religious right. Well, the Lord Jesus gave lots of commands, didn't he? Uh, What are we to consider to be ordinances that we practice within the church in an ongoing fashion? Well, we find that uh, the practice is something that the Lord has commanded the church to carry out. That's one ingredient of an ordinance. Secondly, it is a practice that's commanded by Jesus that When we go over to the book of Acts, we find out that the early church under the apostles did practice the things that the Lord commanded as part of the church life. And thirdly, third requirement for ordinance is it's a command given by the Lord Jesus uh, for which we are given further explanation in the New Testament. Uh, Practice commanded by Jesus, practice that we find Uh, carried out by the apostolic church in the book of Acts, and a practice that was commanded by Jesus for which we are given further explanation in the New Testament. Well, that brings us then to what are the ordinances? Uh, We think about the ingredients, we identify them, and there are two ordinances that stand out in the New Testament. One is believer's baptism. The other is the Lord's Supper, or sometimes called communion. We find that believer's baptism is commanded by the Lord Jesus. If you go back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, we read the command from Jesus to his apostles. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Is that a command or is that not a command? That's a command. Jesus tells the apostles when when he leaves that you go out and make disciples of all nations, then you baptize them. Go over to the book of Acts with me. Acts chapter 2. And we find out that the early church from the very birthday of the church on the day of Pentecost practiced believers' baptism. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 41. We read it says, Then who gladly received his word. Uh, Peter's word had been, Be saved, put your trust in Christ, be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41 says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, added to the church. Go over to chapter 8. We find in chapter 8 and verse 12. This is under the ministry of, of Philip. It says, but then they, they believed Philip. Philip preached the gospel, told the, these people, the Samaritans about Jesus. But when they believed Philip, as he preached these things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Philip preaches the gospel. People believe. Then what happened? Then they were, they were baptized. Go over to Acts chapter 10. Oh, excuse me. Just stay in chapter 8 for just a moment. And move down to verse 36. Philip uh, meets a, a government official from Ethiopia on the, on the road. And the man's reading from Isaiah 53. Philip explains to him that Isaiah 53 is talking about Jesus. And what Christ did for us and dying for our sins and shares the gospel with him. And verse 36 is now as they, they went down the road. Well, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Over to chapter 10, uh, we find that Peter is sent to Cornelius, a centurion of the Romans. And in verse 47, 48, we find he shared the gospel with with. Cornelius. Cornelius has put his trust in Christ, along with some in his household. And it says in verse 47, Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Same thing. Believe and then baptize. Somebody that believes gets baptized. Over to chapter 16. The Apostle Paul's been in prison in Philippi. Uh, God miraculously opened the doors of the prison, but he doesn't leave. And it provides a great opportunity for him to share the gospel with the, uh, the jailer there. And the jailer asks in verse 30, what must I do to be saved? And, and we find that Paul answered and says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and your household. Now, what he's saying here is that if you believe, You'll be saved. If those in your household believe, they'll be saved. It's not that you can be, believe and your whole household gets saved. But the, the invitation was open to both Cornelius, to, to the jailer and his whole household. Verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, preaching the gospel to them. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. The jailer and everybody in his household had put their faith in Christ and then were baptized. 
uh, what we find as you go through the book of Acts, what do you find? You find out that they took the command of Jesus Christ to baptize believers seriously. And when somebody, somebody believed, they baptized. And when somebody got saved, they got baptized. There's two elements uh, concerning baptism. You move over to the book of Romans, chapter 6. We get some further instruction about what baptism is all about. It's a testimony. Testimony to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 3. Says, For do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We learn from this passage of Scripture, when a person gets baptized, they're giving testimony to the fact that they've come into a union with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. That when Christ died, we died. He died for our sins. And as we put our faith in Christ, we find that we also get new resurrection life, whereby we live, but it's not just we that live, Christ lives in us, and the life that we continue to live, we live for the glory of God and for the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we find that believers' baptism, commanded by Jesus, practiced by the early church, and given some other instruction and revelation concerning baptism in the rest of the New Testament. We find the same concerning the Lord's Supper. We find, if you go back to Luke chapter 22, we find that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. We find a record of that in, in Matthew, we find it in Mark 14, and we also find it here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, the night before he, he died on the cross for our sins. He meets with the disciples and in the upper room, and we find in verse 19 of Luke, chapter 22, it says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They were to eat it then uh, on that institution of the Lord's Supper, but they were also in the future to do it in remembrance of him. As they thought back to what he had done for them on the cross at Calvary. Verse 20. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, says continue to do it in remembrance of him. If you go over to the book of Acts, you find out that the early church practiced the observation of the Lord's Supper. Go right back to Acts chapter 2. And we find the birthday of the church, day of Pentecost. People get saved, put their trust in Christ, they get baptized. And we continue on in that passage in Acts chapter 2. And you drop down to, to verse 40, 41. It says, And then they gladly received his word, were baptized. And that day were, there were 3,000 souls that were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread. That phrase, breaking of bread, is talking about the Lord's Supper. Not just talking about having meals together. It's talking about the Lord's Supper. And they, they continued in the breaking of bread and also in prayers. 
And we find also we get further instruction in the New Testament concerning this matter of the Lord's Supper. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you got your Bible with you, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Or even have it on your phone or whatever, that's okay too. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We start in verse 20. Apostle Paul says, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. The Corinthian church had messed up their, their observation of the Lord's Supper. They, they were being very selfish about it. They had a love feast connected with it, but they were being very selfish in their, their fellowship dinner that they had connected with it. And at any rate, we find that the drop down to verse 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is, which is literally given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. There's that idea, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If another is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I'll set in order when I come. There we get some instruction. You get the idea from what you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that the ordinances are kind of important to the Lord. In fact, the way that the Corinthian church had messed things up, it said that there's been divine chastening placed upon you. There are some that are sick and weak among you, and some even have died as a result of their not properly observing the, the, the Lord's Supper the way that it should have been. And so we find that we have two commandments, or two ordinances, that are really laid out in the New Testament for us. Believer's baptism and the Lord's Supper. There are a couple of similarities between them. First of all, participants in the ordinances are to be believers. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you don't, you're not sure that Christ is your Savior, that you're a believer in Christ, you ought to make sure of that. That's one of the things that the ordinances are all about. It presents, directs our attention to the death of Christ and what he did for us on the cross at Calvary and emphasizes our need to respond to what Jesus did for us. Baptism is for believers. Uh, every passage we looked at there in Acts, it was always somebody believed, then they were baptized. Baptism is not something you do for infants. That's not true New Testament biblical believers' baptism. Baptism is for Believers, It's always believe and be baptized. By the way, baptism of an unbeliever is kind of a, a meaningless thing. Well, it is a meaningless thing because baptism really is a testimony. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute. 
of the fact that I have come into a relationship with Christ. I've come into a union with Him. Uh, I benefit from His death on the cross. He died for my sins. He gets my sins as He dies on the cross. And as I put my faith in Him, I get His, resur- I get his righteousness, so I get to go on and live a, a continuing resurrection life as I walk in union with Jesus Christ. If, if a person is making that pictorial statement through baptism and they never trusted Christ, that's nothing but a big fat lie. Because if you don't have that union with Christ that you come into by faith, then the, then the baptism means absolutely nothing. Uh, communion is something that should be practiced, uh, should be participated in by believers. 1 Corinthians 11 warns against participating in an unworthy fashion. Uh, there's a testimony when we, we partake of the elements of communion. There, there's the bread that pictures the body of Jesus, and there's the, the juice, the, the fruit of the vine that pictures the, blo- the shed blood of Jesus. We eat it, we drink it, and that's all a picture of receiving Jesus. You know, there's some things in this life that are very, very personal. Nobody else can do them for you. No one else can eat and have it benefit you. No one else can drink and have it benefit you. If you're thirsty, somebody else can take a drink of water and say, that's in your honor. You know what that does for your thirst? Absolutely nothing. You're hungry and somebody's going to eat a hamburger and they're going to do it in your name. Well, they eat the hamburger in your name. What's that do for your hunger pangs? Absolutely nothing. Nobody else can eat or drink for you. By the way, you know what else is true? Nobody else can trust Jesus for you. You've got to receive him for yourself. You've got to repent of your sin, put your faith in Christ in and of yourself. Your parents can't do that for you. Your grandparents can't do that for you. Sometimes I try to share the gospel with people. And they want to tell me what a wonderful Christian their grandmother was, or their grandfather was, or their parents were. That's wonderful. But you know what that means to you right now? It means you've had a great example. It means you had a testimony. But I'm sorry, you cannot ride into heaven on the coattails of your your parents or your grandparents or anybody else or, or your wife or your husband. It just doesn't work that way. I heard a statement a number of years ago. Somebody said, God doesn't have any grandchildren. God only has children. You can't be a grandchild of the Lord. You can only be a child of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So participants in the ordinances are to be believers, whether it's believers' baptism, whether it be the Lord's Supper. Uh, The authority and responsibility to carry out the ordinances has been entrusted to to local churches. Uh, We find it Acts chapter 2, that's the local church of Jerusalem. Those people baptized there by the apostles, and they come into the church in Jerusalem. We find just the church gathered together, uh, observing the the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, breaking the the breaking of bread, and and sharing the in that very very important ordinance. So it's the it's the local church. You know, it's not like you know two kids can be playing in a swimming pool and say, "Hey, how'd you like me to baptize you?" You know, do you believe in Jesus as your Savior? Well, can a brother baptize his sister? And is that really a legitimate baptism? You know, not, not quite. The, the authority's been entrusted to the local church. Now, uh, that doesn't mean the pastor has to do it. Doesn't, doesn't mean the, a deacon even necessarily has to do it. Uh, there have been instances where, where the local church has just has said, you know, somebody in, in the church, that they can, do, they can do the baptizing. They, they can baptize somebody. We, I've, I've heard of fathers that have baptized their children. They're, they're children. 
but it's been under the authority of the, the local church. So there's a similarity. Uh, for God, our God's a God of, of order, and to have order in the matter of the ordinances, he's entrusted them to the local church. Both ordinances focus attention on the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We look at baptism, what's it a picture of? It's a picture of our union with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. As somebody goes back under the water, it's a picture of death and burial and our union with him in, that, in, in communion. What, what do we have? We have the elements. We got the bread, which is a picture of, of Christ's given body. It was pierced through on the cross for us. It wasn't broken. That would, not have, that would have gone against the, what the prophecies had said. Uh, and, and his blood was shed. Well, what's a, a pierced body and shed blood all about? It's all about death. And what a reminder the, the ordinances are to us as a church and us as individual Christians as, as what the, the church really is all about. You know, as a church, we do not exist to, to just tell you, okay, live a good life. You know, love your neighbor. Be good to people. Live a moral life. Are all those things things that we should do? But that's not our core message. That's not what we're all about. Our main message is to get out the gospel. And what's the gospel? The gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And it's necessary for us to believe in him. Repent of our sin and put our trust in Christ. Then we get the wonderful gift of eternal life. We get forgiveness of sins. We get to come into a relationship with God. We need reminders of that. Sometimes the, the, the church gets misdirected. And they think that the church is just about doing good deeds. Let's just go out and make our community better. Do good things in our community. And that's all right. But you know the best way we can make our community better? It's by getting the gospel message out. It's by going to our next door neighbor and sharing the gospel with them. It's by sharing Christ and modeling Christ in front of the people that we work with. Yeah, there, there's a place for, for doing good deeds out in the community. But our, our core message, our central message, is all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The gospel message is not be good and you'll go to heaven. The gospel message is not li- live a, a peaceful life and everything will be great. No, the gospel message. It's all about the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the ordinances remind us of that, right? That's what they're for. That both of them are that. And both ordinances speak of the participants' relationship with Christ. Baptism is a, a testimony of something that's already happened in our lives, in our salvation. When I, when I get baptized, uh, what I'm doing and what I'm telling everybody in a, a pictorial form, a symbolic form, is that I put my faith in Christ and his death on the cross of Calvary for me and that I believe he died for my sins and I believe the only kind of righteousness that's going to get me into heaven is not my own righteousness, but the righteousness that I can have through him by faith. And and baptism is all about a picture of my union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And, And we talked about a moment ago. You, you eat that bread, you drink the fruit of the vine. And that's a picture of receiving Jesus. Nobody else can receive food for you or drink for you. 
Nobody else can receive Jesus for you. And when you eat, a picture of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which are the, the, the juice and the bread are symbols of his blood and symbols of his body. When we eat that and drink that, it's a picture of the fact we've received him. What we're saying to people all around, I've received Jesus. We don't receive him when we take those elements, but we're saying we have received him. That's what I'm trusting in for my salvation. That's the thing we hold together as Christians. That's the tie that binds our common relationship in Jesus Christ, the fact that we know him, love him. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. You know, that's what it's all about. Both ordinances speak of the participants' relationship with Christ. They speak about Jesus, and they speak about our connection with him. And if you don't have a connection with Jesus this morning, you're not going to heaven. If you don't have a connection with Jesus by faith this morning, you're headed for an eternal hell. And that connection only comes by God's grace through putting our faith in Him. Baptism doesn't save anybody. Communion, taking communion doesn't save anybody. They're pictures of the way we do get saved through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Both ordinances are also only for the church age. They they started on the day of Pentecost, and they'll be, be done with, and uh, the, after the, the rapture of the church. We're, how, how, off, how long do we carry on the communion service? Well, we, we do it as often as we do it in remembrance of Christ until he comes. You know, we won't have to be reminded of his death for us when we get to see him face to face. I believe when we get to see Jesus face to face, we're going to see the marks in his hands and the marks in his feet and probably the, the scars on his, on his brow from where he, he wore the crown of thorns. But we don't, these, these ordinances are only for the church age. We didn't have Christian believers' baptism in the Old Testament. We won't have it in days to come. We, we didn't have communion back then. We had things pointing forward to the death of Jesus. Every animal sacrifice was pointing forward to the death of Jesus. Uh, I'm kind of glad today we don't bring animal sacrifices as a reminder of what Jesus did for us. I'm kind of glad Jesus instituted the communion service the Lord's Supper, it's a whole lot less bloody, a whole lot less messy uh, than if we were to do what they did in the Old Testament. And we find there are some differences. One difference is that the believer's baptism is to be carried out only, you only need to carry it out one time, only one time in the life of a Christian. Jesus died for us. How many times? How many times is he going to have to die? Just once, no more. If you come to a place in your life where you genuinely repent of your sin and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you become a child of God and you're given the gift of eternal life, how many times do we need to do that? Just once. If it's it's real. If it's genuine. Now, sometimes people make false professions, but if there's a genuine relationship with Christ, we only have to enter into that one time. So we only need to be baptized one time after we become a believer. Now, I've had folks that uh, they've come to me and said, Hey, Pastor, when you know, I, got, I got baptized a number of years ago, and I'm not sure I really understood the gospel back then. Uh, I'm not sure my salvation was genuine. You know, I'm, I'm just I'm concerned about it. What should I do? Well, do you, do you know you're saved today? Are you sure Christ is your Savior today? And that they've wanted to take a, they want to get baptized for a second. Okay, hey, we'll do that. We'll do that. 
oh, we'll, we'll baptize you again. But it's not because you got saved twice. It's because the first time you weren't sure about your salvation. And, and now you are sure of your salvation. And now it's time to go ahead and give the testimony again. But we find believers' baptism only needs to be carried out one time as a public profession of faith in Christ. By the way, it's important to give a profession of public profession of faith in Christ. Jesus said if we confess him before men, he'll confess us before the Father. If we don't confess him before men, he won't confess us before the Father. Believers' baptism, on the other hand, excuse me, the Lord's Supper, on the other hand, is to be carried out repeatedly. What are we told here in 1 Corinthians 11? Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me, for you show the Lord's death till he, till he comes. Now, some churches, they have communion every week. There's some churches that, that have it every month, first Sunday of every month. I grew up in a church where we had the first Sunday of every month. No matter what the sermon was about, no matter... Uh, where we were at, we, we had communion at the end of the service, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes it seemed like it was just kind of tacked on and didn't have a whole lot of connection with the, with the, the rest of the service. Other churches, and what we do here is we have it faithfully, we have it regularly, we have it meaningfully, and when we have a communion service, we build the whole service around it. The message is about the communion, about the, the death of Christ, the music's about the death of Christ, that the whole service is geared towards focusing our attention on what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. And so we, you know, we do that and do it in that fashion. And it's an important thing that we, we do it that that we, we do regularly continue to obey the Lord's command because it helps to keep us focused in the right direction. You know, if a, a church keeps the ordinances properly, they're going to have a hard time getting off track theologically and doctrinally. You know, because it keeps our attention focused where it needs to be focused. Where does it need to be focused? On the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and our need for faith in him. You know, the ordinances are, are of great importance. They are not grace-giving or saving sacraments. Participating in the ordinance won't save you. It won't make you any more saved. It won't add any more grace to you. Some churches talk about the sacraments. The definition of a sacrament is that it's a certain, there are certain rites that were ordained by Jesus, and we would agree with that. Uh, there are certain things that Christ ordained, but here's where we don't go along with that biblical doc, or with that dictionary doctrine, where it doesn't line up with Scripture. Says ordinances are certain rights ordained by Jesus and regarded as a means of grace. That's not true. That's not true. How do you receive God's grace? How do you benefit from God's grace? We benefit from God's grace by faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith apart from works. Now, faith leads to work. Or saved from faith apart from the works of the law, apart from all works. What's baptism? It's a work. What's observing the Lord's Son? It's a work. It's a religious rite, a religious ritual. They're, they're works. There's absolutely no saving value in the ordinances. That's why we don't use the word sacrament. Right? The, the, the baptism and the Lord's Supper, believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances. They're commanded by Jesus. Well, we recognize that makes them important. But they don't save us. 
uh, the Roman Catholic Church has what they call seven sacraments. Uh, baptism, that's baptism of infants, confirmation, the Eucharist, the, when they have the Mass and the Communion, uh, doing penance, holy orders, matrimony, anointing of the sick, or, or last rites in preparation for death. Uh, most of your Protestant churches, uh, some of them still have what they call the sacraments. Most would have two. That, that would be baptism and would be the Lord's Supper. We would differ with some of those, and they're not sacraments. They don't give us any more grace. There's no saving value at all in them. Now, sometimes folks, when they get in the hospital, they want the pastor to come and, and give them communion in their hospital bed. I don't do that. Uh, sometimes people want that because they, they think somehow there's some, some grace benefit in, in, in every, every time they take communion. Really, we don't find anything in Scripture about that. There's, there's great value, but, but not, not necessarily that we, we get more grace from it. There's a, there are important steps of obedience. We get the blessing of obeying Christ. We get the benefits of obeying Him. We find that the ordinances have testimony value. In fact, we give our testimony of faith in Christ through believer's baptism. We are giving a testimony when we receive communion. We're giving a testimony to people around us. I've received Jesus as my Savior. There's great teaching value. You know, the Lord instituted some things in the Old Testament. After the Israelites came across the Jordan River, they put up a memorial of stone. That would cause the children to ask, hey, what are these stones here for? And then they could tell how God opened up the Jordan River. Uh, God instituted Passover so that uh, the, the children and others could be told of how God had, had delivered the Israelites from Egypt and how the death angel passed over where the blood was applied. Man, what a testimony that is, huh? Well, what a picture of even what happens to us. When the blood's applied to us, the blood of Christ, what happens? The judgment of God passes over us. So there's great teaching value in the ordinances. And the ordinances also have great motivation value. They should. Every time we, we see somebody baptized, we're, we're reminded that Jesus died for us. Every time we partake of the, the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that Jesus died for us. Does that motivate you? If Jesus was willing to do that for you, what are you willing to do for him? And in fact, we're told communion is supposed to be a time of evaluation. To let a man examine himself. That's not the main purpose of the communion service, but that certainly ought to be part of it. We ought to examine ourselves. Where am I at in my relationship with the Lord? Am I walking in faithfulness to Him? Do I really know Him as Savior? Am I willing to suffer for Him if He calls upon me to do that? What's my relationship with Him? So there's tremendous value in the ordinances, and I hope motivation value in each of our lives as well as we contemplate anew what Jesus was willing to do for us what he did do for us how's the song go how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely after all he's done for me how can I do anything less than my very best we find that observing the ordinances takes us back to Calvary and the cross of Christ that's what they're about and you know what? It's good for us to go back to Calvary in our thinking periodically, isn't it? Man, it's great to remember what Jesus did for us. Oh, what comfort we ought to get in that. What encouragement we ought to get in that. 
uh, to recognize that because of what he did for us, we really can have forgiveness of sin. We really can have eternal life. We really can look forward to heaven. And thank God, when we go back to Calvary and we go back to the cross, where do we also go on the third day? We go to the empty tomb. You see, the, uh, the baptism, excuse me, the, the, the Lord's Supper, the communion service, in the funeral service. Not just remembering the death of Jesus. Yeah, I, I love to read this 11th, passage, the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. We show the Lord's death, how long? Till he comes. Well, how can we be so sure he's coming again? Because he rose from the dead, ascended back to glory with the promise that he is coming again. It's good for us to go back to the cross. It's good for us to remember what Jesus did for us. It's good for us as a church to go back to the cross and remember that's our message. The gospel message has to focus on the cross and on the empty tomb and on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a glorious Savior who was willing to, to leave heaven behind, become fully man while continuing to be fully God, and go to Calvary's cross and there shed his blood for our sin. God, help us never to take that for granted. Help us never to minimize that. Help, help us never to push that back into the background. May that ever be the, the focus of our ministry here as a church. May that be the focus of our, our, our ministry as individual Christians and the focus of our lives that we have a Savior who loved us enough to die for us and who also rose again on the third day and now lives for us and makes intercession for us in glory. Father, I pray if there's anybody with us today that's never embraced Jesus to be their own Lord and Savior, they might even do that this morning, might receive the glorious gift of eternal life. And Father, for each of us as Christians, I pray that we would be motivated as we contemplate the, these, these ordinances that Jesus instituted, that we'd be motivated to better live for him and serve him, give him all we are and all we have. We'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.